Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, true Rojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today, we're going to talk some USC football and specifically more details about the Coliseum renovation plan with Dan Weber, the uscfootball.com writer and columnist. He wrote a great column. He's written a few pieces, and uh, we've got a lot of feedback from all of you, so we wanted to kind of share that with everybody about what's going on in this plan for uh, renovating the Coliseum and moving pretty much everybody out of their current seats. So, uh, a lot of uh, opinions and comments on that. If you have any questions for us, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or you can drop us a, a voice. You can send us a text or leave us a voicemail at the same number, 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Send us a text, leave us a voicemail. We'll love to play it on the podcast and get your thoughts. Uh, we do have a bunch of questions about the team and I think we're just going to focus this episode on the Coliseum stuff because there's been so much. Uh, feedback coming in about that. So that's what we're going to focus on right now. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristyle podcast. Uh, leave us some positive feedback. A five star rating would be wonderful. We're also on audio boom and stitcher radio and, uh, tune in radio, a lot of different ways, uh, to get the podcast. And we've been doing this is our 10th football season, Dan, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but wow. Dan, welcome, welcome to the show. 10th football season about to start. Well, in a couple of months and, uh, we're curious to see what's going to happen with this Coliseum. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is that time of year where you've got to, although there aren't as many of these, uh, you know, breaks from football as there used to be. Football is becoming, you know, much more of a, you know, 12-month-a-year deal uh, for everybody. And if it's not, you're in trouble probably. But uh, this is the time where you, you can take a little step back maybe as they, uh, you know, finish up uh, the spring semester and, take a little break and then get ready for the, you know, the summer player run practices and conditioning and all that. And so here's the Coliseum is the, uh, is the feature. And this is, you know, the week that I think USC wished they didn't have to face when it hit them that we're going to have to make 10,000 phone calls and tell all these people that you're going to be reseated somewhere. And that, you know, 9,000, 9,500 of those seats that, are the best seats in the place uh, are going to be gone and you're going to have to move somewhere. And uh, didn't, doesn't seem like it is the best outcome of, <laughs> of where this whole process should have gone, uh, which, you know, you would have hoped would have been something that would have brought much needed, you know, repair and upkeep and, and, and renovation to, you know, what arguably is the greatest, sports stadium in the history of the world i mean and with all the things that have happened at the coliseum and uh, one would have hoped that uh, that usc which does such a good job when you come go onto that campus and see all the good stuff you look at the figaro corridor and the uh, university village and all the things that usc gets right and you think gosh you know this is the most maybe most visible most public expression of usc to the world uh now that they're taking over the coliseum and uh doesn't look like they whatever the processes that seem to work 
and every every other place uh, has seemed to have broken down in terms of the way they've come up, you know, with certain decisions and certain designs uh, for the Coliseum. It's kind of a shame. It's just too bad. It may not be to the point where you can't stop it or reverse it or at least take another look at it, but it's it's getting close, getting very close. Um, so we got a lot to get to on this topic, uh, but I wanted to uh, think we have a new sponsor here on the Parasol Podcast. I want to talk about them a little bit first. Uh, Trader Joe's, which is great. It's uh, one of my favorite places uh, here in Southern California when I moved here. Oh God! So I don't know how many I don't know how many years ago the, the riots were twenty five years ago, but yeah, less than thirty. That's good. Um, but I've always liked going to Trader Joe's. They've actually been uh, selling awesome food and beverages. Uh, every day for the last 50 years. So it's kind of crazy that they've been around that long. And they just opened a new store uh, right next to me in Hermosa Beach. So it's pretty cool. Like we can go. Uh, we used to have to go to Manhattan Beach. It wasn't too bad. Um, but it's nice. My wife and I like to go by there. And there's just so many cool meals that we like to pick up and stuff. So if you haven't tried Trader Joe's, definitely check it out uh, in your neighborhood. Like I said, 50 years here. And they're, you know, they're spreading all over the place right now. The 50th anniversary will be August uh, of 2017. So they will have have some kind of big party or something and i hear they're going to open one at the university village dance so that'll be kind of a cool thing and that's august time frame i think that's about the same time so that should be kind of cool yeah i know our local one here in uh where i'm out in tustin in orange county and uh, they've had to uh get new quarters and 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 a bigger much bigger uh location because of uh of the popularity so uh so yeah we're uh, and I, I think there's a USC connection with Trader Joe's, and that's really uh, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's how we, they kind of, uh, you know, had a have a Peristyle member who happens to be uh, someone that's there at Trader Joe's. So we kind of uh, got the talking, and it was, you know, they're nice enough to sponsor the show. So definitely uh, go check it out. Um, there's going to be some sort of thing going on. We'll get you more details on that when the University Village opens and the Trader Joe's there opens up. So uh, that should be kind of cool. But for now, check it out. If you're in the South Bay area, the Hermosa Beach one's awesome. Uh, big parking lot. There's lots of, lots of stuff there. I like going picking up, you know, beer and wine. Just going there for beer and wine is pretty amazing. There's some cool stuff and the prices are great. So definitely check it out. Yep. That, uh, I, I think the, the fun thing for me is the wine section and just, you know, just going through there and the prices are, are so good. So, uh, big endorsement, uh, here for Trader Joe's. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we love it. We love checking out stuff there. So I hope you guys check it out as well. We'll have a little bit, uh, we'll have a message from Trader Joe's at the end of the show, uh, too. Um, okay, Dan. So this is, uh, a very, you know, hot topic. And I thought it was kind of going to get, pick up more momentum and, and get a little bit worse as more and more people kind of get the phone call. So if, if you haven't checked out Dan Weber's column. So when we were talking about this the last time on the show, and actually, Harvey Hyde, we talked about it uh, earlier in the week, but we were waiting. Dan had already gone to this meeting, but it was embargoed. We couldn't talk about all the details. So this is the first time we got to talk to you after that column uh, came out, Dan. And you know, there's a few more details I guess you can share. Uh, there's a lot of people that read it and have commented on it, and a lot of people are upset. It's it's kind of hard to find. We haven't really had found a lot of people that are like, no, this is the best thing. Um, it seems like a lot of people are upset with it. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I, and, and we can't, I mean, one of the problems is it's really hard 
to trace the decision-making process back to, well, who thought this was a good idea? And, and, And we're talking about things like, who thought it was a good idea to put this new tower so close to the field, so close that you would have to, you know, halfway down the stadium? Uh, nobody does that, uh, you know, so that it not only does it take out 9,000 to 9,500 of the best seats in the Coliseum, you know, we're talking about a building that was designed as a big oval classic, you know, track stadium for the Olympics uh, that basically has about 38,000 sideline seats uh, from end zone to end zone on both sides. And you start out by taking away nine to nine nine thousand nine five ninety five hundred and replacing them with, um, you know, 2,200 in a uh, massive building right in the middle of, of the stadium. It just, it makes no sense. Design-wise, it looks awful. It dominates the Coliseum. Instead of having the sweeping, curved, classic oval, uh, which takes your eyes, eyes to the, you know, the one beautiful design feature, which is the peristyle, and then the other design feature that's so one of a kind is that classic big tunnel that is like nothing else in any anywhere in the world. And both of those features and the sweeping lines are all going to be essentially ruined by this new big building that looks like, you know, it looks like if you were building a reviewing stand, you know, for the, you know, the, the next, you know, May Day parade in Moscow, that's what you'd build, you know some big, you know, ugly power that you could put, you know, all the dignitaries on. Um, it just didn't, you just think, what was the thing? How did they get to that place? Who came to the meeting first and said, you know, we're going to take out all these good sideline seats. You would have thought someone would have said, oh, no, we can't do that. <laughs> no, you know, we got to come up with a better, better solution. And they said, well, wait a minute, I haven't given you the whole story. We're also going to take out 16,000 seats. What? And you just think, you know, in an era of college football, where now you have, you know, seven programs that have more than 100,000 seats in their stadium. I I mentioned when Pete Carroll came to USC, there was only 100,000-plus stadium Michigan. Uh you know, it's not that much, you know, later, you know, 16, 17 years, you've got seven. And mostly those are programs that people at USC would expect USC to beat. You know, Ohio State, and Texas, and Texas A&M, and LSU, and uh, Penn State. And those are programs that have all, you know, really accelerated the pace. Because college football is more of a, a game for, you know, mass crowds and big, big, you know, big event type of deal it's not and it looks like usc went for the pro model which is is what they did in baseball to start with and then the nfl has maintained pretty much that where they want to keep the stadium small enough that people feel like they have to buy season tickets so you don't have the ability to accommodate the really big crowds like you know college football does or usc for example the notre dame game the UCLA game, they won't be able to accommodate those 93,000 crowds for those games or for Stanford when it, you know, going to decide the Pac-12 or whatever game that's going to decide the Pac-12. Uh, that won't be possible anymore. And again, 
they, they seem to have gone to the NFL model, more of a, let's look at Levi's Stadium. And we'll go, you know, we'll go in that direction. And, uh, again, it didn't seem like there was anybody in the meetings and the design, uh, all the discussions that said, no, this is a college program. We need the college model. We need to be able to accommodate in a stadium like the Coliseum. We need to be able to accommodate the big game crowds and we need to be loyal to those people who have had, you know, their seats in the family for the last half century. We can't be kicking those people out. We have to find another way to do this. And how easy is that to find another way? Every other stadium in America, a college football stadium, has gone with a different model. You're familiar with Tennessee. They were probably the first ones to to do the big, you know, I think there's their building is like eight stories where they have the private suites and the uh, press boxes and all that. And I think they were pretty much the first ones that went to that model. And then they, you know, they put other boxes around the top of Neyland Stadium. But, uh, you know, that's the, that you would think would be the model for college football. And you would think the Coliseum would be considered a place where it's, prim- it's primarily for college football. And it, it just seems like they got off track and nobody got them back on track. And now here we are. Here we are, and uh, it's. Uh, I don't think it's a great place. And the, I guess the biggest question is, can something be done about it? So, um, I'll read a couple comments about that. Dan, um, Tarek said, "At what point will it be too late to rethink the Coliseum renovation?" I've never been to the Coliseum myself, but it sounds like a terrible idea. Wow, I didn't know Tarek has never been there. Um, sure. Eric and Duck Country. It looks like there's no changing the Coliseum renovation. What do you think the new renovation will be like for opposing teams? Will it be an intimidating setting or are they starting, are they, or is it like, uh, staring at an office building? Thanks as always, Eric and Duck Country. And other people want to know, like, hey, is it too late to change? I think the, the too late, I would say if, if, you know, the board of trustees or Max Nikias, uh, president, if they decided tomorrow, uh, you know, to call the architects and say, look, flip this plan, uh, why don't we do all the work on the seating and the new aisles and all of that starting in December? We'll, we'll make sure everybody knows it's coming and we're going to rethink how we would put in, uh, the, uh, the kinds of amenities and the special suites that we need. I mean, let's face it. They've done a great job of selling this to the donors. They, they basically, and this is where they were smart. They, they went to Texas A&M, who recently, now here, they got one part of the story right and one part wrong. Texas A&M recently, uh, expanded for, you know, however many times they've expanded. They've got 105,000 seats now at Texas A&M. But they couldn't find anybody to complete, even with all their rich Texas oil men boosters, they couldn't find anybody to underwrite the whole program. So what they did was, they found a number of people who they, they basically called them founders and they, they built founder suites for them and at, at like $10 million each. Well, USC went out and found really 22 already of these founders donors who were, uh, I think the original they were thinking 10 million, but I think some of them are seven and a half million, but that's allowed them to raise 220 to 225 million of the 270 million budgeted. So, uh, 
but they only need uh, about 48 boxes the way this is budgeted. Not, that's not just for the donors, but then there's another level of about $500,000 um, that gets you like a 20-person box. But the total number of new suites that they need at USC is, a, is under 50. So, you know, it just seems like an unbelievable waste of time and resources and, and all and, and the hassle of, of removing all those seats to put in uh, luxury, you know, suites. And those people, you know, that's, they're going to, you know, underwrite much of what's going to happen in the Coliseum. So that's a great thing. But they could be doing it another way, not nearly as destructive a way. And if, if they said, hold off on that for a year, because it's not supposed to be finished in 2000, until 2019, do the, the things they know they're going to do and know they're going to have to do. Don't take out any seats starting in December. Right now, the schedule apparently is they come in and, and take out all those 9,000, 9,500 seats in December. Well, at that point, there won't be any going back. The problem with that plan is it takes out all those seats for 2018 season. There won't be any press box. The stadium will be basically a construction zone. It just seems like if you go with the way they've expanded in so many other stadiums where you put in a deck uh, on pylons above, above those seats, don't take those seats out. Uh, those seats then become your club seats. And, yes, you would ask a premium for people to stay in those seats because, you know, those are the best seats in the house. And above them, and they'd be protected because you'd, be, you'd have the deck above them that would have the press box and the, uh, and the 50 or so really luxury suites. But to me, that would be the plan you would hope, and you'd say, we'll do that, we'll construct that second deck in 2018 after we've done the whole stadium uh, uh, in the offseason starting in December. But could somebody, you know, is that going to happen? Only if, uh, I think only if President Nikias and the Board of Trustees decide that maybe it should happen. I think if they decide that, it could happen. How do you get them to make that decision? You know, how much of this is that the situation where nobody wants to admit that somebody really screwed up badly in the decision-making process? Uh, again, we can't, we can't tell you how they got to this process so we can't really tell you who screwed up but uh but the uh uh i, I think there's still a chance i think there's still time uh but december is going to come quickly uh, uh and and the decision is going to have to be made before certainly before december because you'd have to line up you have to rearrange how you're going to do all that construction and you know i'm sure they've got you know gotten agreements with who's going to do what and how they, you know, they probably take a lot of work, you know, in the six or seven months we've got. But, boy, I think it would be worth it. Kind of along the same lines, Gary wrote in, he said, you've written several stories about the need for change in the Coliseum renovation plans, all of which uh, the vast majority of readers have been in agreement with. Uh, you even proposed a great alternative plan of your own. Well, the time is running out quickly, so there needs to be some action taken before it's too late. What can be done at a grassroots level to try and stop this current plan from going through? 
someone has to start an aggressive push to get the those in charge to stop this travesty from happening. I know it's not your job, but you could definitely be a catalyst in getting something started. This is something most of us really feel uh, feel really passionate about and need something we can get behind to affect change. Thanks for all you do. Fight on, Gary. Yeah, we're we're trying to figure out how 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 do you get you know this in front of you know President Nikias? How do you get it you know in front of you know John Mork and the Board of Trustees? Who who are the the people there that that could really carry this process at this point in time? And um, anybody who's got any suggestions about ways in which and and one of the thoughts is there are several really key donors, benefactors, uh, people who've been involved with USC who are also, you know, construction people and real estate development people and people with, with real expertise uh, in these areas who USC would really listen to. How do we get to those people, I think, in the next, you know, next you know, few months is the key who could then get to the people at USC that, that could get this done, people that the people at USC would really listen to. I don't know if they'll listen to us. Uh, we haven't had much luck. Uh, I mean, I was at a meeting I went to. I was showing them the Ohio, Ohio, State, uh, Ohio Stadium and built in 1922, the Horseshoe, for 66,000 people, built a year uh, before the Coliseum, uh, which was built for 76,000. So they're kind of comparable buildings with classic design. And I was showing them, here's what Ohio Stadium has done. And this is, they basically put the press box and private suites on, um, on pylons above. They're already a, a second, a double deck stadium, but they put that on top of their second deck and basically running the entire length of the field. Just exactly what you could do at the Coliseum uh, doesn't change the lines of the stadium at all. They didn't lose their National Historic Landmark, uh, you know, certification, um, and they finished the end zone. And I'm I'm showing this this photo that really illustrates, and we had it with the story, exactly how you could do that. And it was like uh, I couldn't even get people to look at it. They didn't want to even look at it. They wouldn't even want to, they couldn't look at it. It was like, no, I can't look at something like that. <laughs> don't show me that. No, I don't want to, I don't want to see that. And, and that seems to be where we are in this process is nobody wanted, once they got started going down this road, he didn't want to hear you could do this better or you could do this, you know, without inconveniencing all these people or without running all these people off or without you know, knocking the capacity down so low and all that. They just looked at you and said, no, nope, don't want to hear that. Can't look at that. Doesn't matter. Maybe there's a better way to do it. We don't want to know. That'll just make us feel worse. So, <laughs> you know, Not I mean, if you look at the uh, st- uh, story we did, uh, the last story, uh, and you look at that photo of Ohio State, it just, it makes you sad to think that if USC just said, we'll do this, you, you know, all this goes away. You know, the, you, you don't lose those seats. You don't run those people off. 
you have plenty of, uh, you know, to offer. Now, will the people who have now committed to those founder suites lose something? Well, probably. Here's what they would do. I think you could commit to the exact same dimensions of the boxes and the same amenities inside the boxes and, you know, the bars and the tiered seating and all of that kind of thing. What you maybe couldn't offer these people are marble staircases and big lobbies underneath where you could play touch football and all that stuff that is the reason you're knocking out the 9,000 seats. Uh, other than that, I think, you, you know, and, and by making it a second deck, and have you know pylons and cantilevering it above the Coliseum seats, you could put it closer, for example, than the current press box is. So you could actually give them a little bit, you know, closer access to the field. Not that I think that's the most important thing in the world. I mean, we're in the press box for every game. That's a great view of the games. That you know, I think they're acting like, wow, if we put people in the same location where the press box is today, nobody'd want to watch a game from there. That's crazy. Every game that, you know, every big game in USC history has been, you know, uh, videoed and televised and radioed and reported on from the press box. And we, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's like every other press box in America pretty much. And it's not an issue. And to say our fans would be inconvenienced if we put them in that same place. Just doesn't wash. I mean, that, that just that makes no sense. It's a great place to watch a game. So. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's uh, man, it's just it's it's rough when you're not really sure who at the top is making the decision and they won't even listen to what you have to say. Um. So the the one thing that kind of started this all rolling, Dan, is that. You know, I know as the phone calls start going out, because they're going to reach out to everyone individually, um, people are coming to the message boards, they're emailing us, and they're telling us their stories. So part of it, I wanted to kind of share some of these stories. Uh, we had one post uh, just today, actually not that long ago, like an hour ago when this went up. He said, Heritage Hall called yesterday. This is from USC Trojan 82. He said to ask if they could answer any questions I might have about the 2019 Coliseum renovation. He had two questions. He said, where will, where will my seats be relocated? One. And two, can I still purchase six seats as I've done for the past 36 years? So he's done this for a while. The answers, uh, he said, one, uh, not sure, but look at the 2019 seating chart to get a general idea. So they don't really know where he's going to move. And two, of course, you can continue to buy six seats if you move up to the next donor level that's above Cardinal and Gold Premier. So he can't even buy the same number of seats that he was getting before. He said, now, let me think about this. Our tailgate spot of 36 years is gone. With the demo of the sports arena, our parking and seating will be moved to new but undetermined locations. And I get to donate almost twice as much for the privilege of buying the same number of seats. Oh, and there's a one-time $1,500 per seat renovation, quote, contribution. Wow, thanks for the call, Heritage Hall. I feel so much better. StubHub will definitely be added to my phone iPhone contacts for 2019 in lieu of my annual check to the USC Athletics Department. Well, that that would worry me if if people uh, if and it sounds like people are going to make those kinds of decisions where where the uh, their money is going to go to you know scalpers or resellers or whatever. 
I mean, I know that one, we had one guy who said he'd be way better off just going to all the away games, paying for the flights, paying for the hotels, buying tickets on the road, and he'd still come out ahead and, you know, go to the same number. You know, I'll go to six road games instead of the home games. And then when that time comes, if there's a home game you really have to go to, you go to, you know, you go to StubHub. And, and, and figuring out that I'd be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to the good. Uh, now, you know, you want people to say, hey, you know, if you really want the kind of program that's going to compete with Ohio State and, you know, Michigan and Penn State and Alabama, you kind of probably got to make a move like this. But it's harder to get people to make that kind of move uh, with their money when you're reseeding the whole stadium. I mean, you're asking them for more money for worse seats, uh, for a lot more money for a lot worse seats. And that's, that's a tough parlay where people can say, you know, there's probably another way I can do this. And, and it makes it harder, I think, for people to feel really, really loyal to USC uh, football, the USC athletic program, if they don't think that the USC athletic program has been loyal to them. It's a, that's a tough sell. And when you, if you're USC and you're calling people and say, and you're asking them, is there anything, I, you know, any question I can answer for you? And when the answers are, I don't have an answer, and that's going to cost you a whole lot more. <laughs> I'm not sure. So maybe don't know, make the that call. Is, we got to make all these phone calls, but the the key is not just making the call. It's a having the you know a right answer or an acceptable answer, and b talking to someone who feels like you're on their side, but. At this point, I mean, I, I asked that question uh, yesterday. Would it have been better to make all these thousands of phone calls last year and figured out what will these people accept and what won't they accept and, and, and get that kind of feedback early on? Maybe you don't go down this road, you know? Uh, but, you know, they're, they're making those calls now, but I'm not sure. If you can't, I mean, obviously the one thing people want to know is where am I going to end up or what's it going to cost me to be there? And if you can't really tell them, uh, other than that, it's going to cost you a whole lot more. Um, but we can't tell you where. I don't know that that's a good answer. Like, I don't know that that phone call did USC any good. No. Doesn't sound like it did. So, you know, and I know they've been having crisis, you know, planning meetings at USC. And, and, and figuring that we'll get out ahead of this, we'll kind of explain it, and then we'll make all these phone calls. But if you don't have something to tell people that makes it look like you really care about what they think or what's going to happen to them, those phone calls might be doing more harm than good. We got another, uh, so this was, came from Jeff. I think he private messaged me this on the Peristyle. Um, he said, love listening to the podcast. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This was a different email. I'll, I'll, I'll read that one afterwards. He said, love listening to the podcast and all the work you and your team put in, putting out a good product. Put me in the camp of people not happy about the quote-unquote aircraft carrier size reduction of stadium and relocation of longtime ticket holders and donors. Uh, is there any way 
to do any article or get an interview with someone from USC who was part of the decision-making process to better communicate what slash why uh, this is the end product. If USC is so proud of their end product, why aren't we seeing all the decision-makers comment publicly about this? Is there just a lot of information that we, the average Joes, are not privy to? Was this renovation project tied to a greater collective push to get the Olympics to L.A.? Just seems so unnecessary to whip up the hornet's nest with all of these longtime supporters just to raise money to accommodate uh, two or two thousand uh, sexy suite, two or uh, plus or minus two thousand sexy suites, uh, two thousand people in the suites, not two thousand suites. Um, similar to politicians being held accountable, accountable. I'd love to see a list of names and contact info posted on the USC officials behind the project, or B, uh, an interview with someone on the other slash informed side to give some explanations. Thus far, it feels like. This is just getting shoved down the throat by a select few. Not sure if your team has already inquired to USC officials for comments slash feedback or if you're getting stiff arm too, but would really uh, be interested in hearing the thought process. Similar to the lack of quote-unquote fight on with the sanctions, USC seems to be diluting the spirit of the Trojan family with this uh, partial renovation. Best from Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. Uh Let's say you were one of the people at USC who greenlighted this project, and now we are where we are. Would you want to admit that? <laughs> Would you want us calling you up and asking you about it? I mean, the way I really found out anything about it is uh, last, last fall at the Marshall School real estate alumni group, they were having a big get-together, and the founders, Ruben Gallen, and one of the topics was, uh, well, they had invited the two architects for the Coliseum to come and explain it. And they also had, um, uh, the Rams were there and they were talking about what they were going to do. And it was kind of like everybody's, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy, you know, uh, positive talk. And I saw, I know it was 55 bucks. Okay. So I signed up. I went and I'm sitting there. And they're starting to talk about the decision-making process. And they're talking, the architects, one of whom is a US, uh, USC graduate, and they're talking about the stakeholders and the people who really had a say. And before they mentioned the athletic department, before they mentioned the football program, they said the L.A. Conservancy. And, you know, the need to keep it as a historical, you know, landmark and that they didn't want to do anything to the outside of the stadium. And, but there was nobody at USC that was listed as a decision maker. I mean, and maybe that's your classic, you know, academic bureaucracy where, where if you stand behind something very strongly and it doesn't go well, you get blamed for it. So I thought, wow. And I, I talked to him afterwards and I said, the only strong indication of anybody who had a decision in this was the LA Conservancy people. And one of the big, uh, features that they said was for the LA Conservancy people was not only did they not want you to touch the outside of the Coliseum, which is probably by far its least desirable architectural feature, uh, but that they didn't really want to see anything new, any new construction 
from outside. And they liked the fact that by moving that structure, that tower, 65 feet closer to the to the field and basically taking out all those seats, um, you wouldn't even be able to see it from outside the Coliseum. And I thought, that's not a very good reason. What? You don't want to be able to see it? You know, and basically their theory is we want everything in L.A., all these old buildings in L.A., to look exactly like they did, you know, 100 years ago. And that is like, how could that be the number one factor in deciding how you were going to do this? And it, it wasn't. It was, as you said, not only was, I think it was a lack of confidence. The program wasn't doing all that well at the time, and so they didn't think it would hurt them that much to knock down the 16,000 seats or to take out those people's seats. Uh, but I think I think the the Olympics do factor in a little bit, and I think they need a place, you know, where you know the prince and princess and uh, king and queen and you know uh, President Kamala Harris and uh, you know Kim Jong Un and all those kind of special guests who are going to be coming to the Olympics in 2024 would have a nice big, you know. Uh, Pillbox. I don't know what you would call it. Uh, a, a nice, you know, big concrete monstrosity where they could, you know, be behind glass and watch all the the little people compete. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's really hard to figure out what the heck is the is the final decision making process. I do think the Olympics probably factor in. Uh, I think those people are here in L.A. this week. Uh, you know, looking are, at yeah. it. And my guess is the people that make decisions about the Olympics are much more concerned with, well, where will I be? What kind of, you know, private box will I have? And how nice will it be for me? And uh, those of us, you know, if you've paid any attention to how the Olympics go, unfortunately, too often, that seems to be, you know, a big factor. But, uh, but I think it was all all the wrong reasons that they could tie in with, you know, let's face it, you've got a half century of, of repair and upkeep that hasn't been done uh, under the Coliseum Commission. So, you know, USC is, pro- is trying to do a lot of the right things, but the decision-making process got to the point where uh, they got off track and, and didn't care about enough about their own fans about the Coliseum classic design and look of the Coliseum, and they kind of went ahead. They went down this road too far to be stopped. I mean, I wrote in in October, you couldn't, uh, you know, where they were going. It was the first time we found out, for example, they didn't want to tell you how many seats they were going to take out. They they really didn't. That was kind of of going to be, uh, you know, in terms of that they were just going to take that whole section of seats out. And they didn't, and kind of, you know, and replace it with, you know, a little over 2,000. And, um, but when we wrote about that at last fall, nobody wanted to talk about it. You know, they weren't ready to go there yet. Now they are, because uh, they know they have to. They don't have any really good answers. So basically, you know, they say, well, we need to raise this money. We need to modernize the Coliseum. And, this is our plan, and we're stuck with it, and we'll see. 
if we are stuck with it. We might be. Let's hope we're not. We got a couple uh, more uh, comments, Dan, I want to read for you, and uh, we'll wrap this one up. But you, you kind of get the feel of what where this is all going. Some really intelligent stuff uh, here, and I like what Chris has to say from San Pedro. He said, I apologize in advance for this lengthy comment, and I truly appreciate your lucid weekly observations on the state of Troy. After carefully reviewing my Coliseum renovation packet, it is completely obvious, no matter how you spin it, that regular loyal fans got completely forgotten. As an alumnus, as an alumnus and the son of an alumnus, through every season for the last 47 years, including the 90s through thick and thin, attending multiple road games every year and cheering our lungs out, the administration doesn't care. My current marginal seats five uh, yards into the end zone uh, in the top row of Tunnel 5 will be taken over by the champagne-drinking, smoked salmon-eating crowd. I'll be lucky to be at the top of Tunnel 3, 25 yards beyond the back of the end zone. And just because the university has been able to secure donations for luxury boxes doesn't mean it was right. It wasn't, especially given our other options. And Max Nikias and Lynn Swan should be ashamed of themselves. Just as a public golf course that costs $300 a round is not really public, they've effectively eliminated access to these games to all but the wealthy corporate crowd who are likely more concerned about their buffet table than actually paying attention or cheering for the Trojans. Geez, I wonder if a local kid uh, like the next Hayes Pillard or Keyshawn Johnson will be able to get into a game and cement their interest in being a Trojan. All the memories I've grown up with, uh, a birthday party tailgate and exposition before the game, are being swept away by the greed that has invaded our society and our university hierarchy. With his corrupt foundation background, Pat Hayden has proven to be the gift that just keeps on giving. That's Chris from San Pedro. Yeah, Chris. Uh, I think the hardest part of this is uh, Lynn Swan is now the athletic director. All of this was completely going on down the road before he got here. And from what I understand, that's kind of, you know, he made that video. He said, you've all got to be, re- you know, receded and you got to accept it. But, you know, he's in a position where he can say, man, I didn't have anything to do with this. Uh, this happened before me. Uh, could he, you know, scream and shout, and, you know, knock himself out and say, don't do this? Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think the process is so murky at how we got here. I don't even know if people know how would I go about going against it. I mean, you can go as high up in the athletic department as you want, and you can't find anybody who will admit how this happened. I mean, and the architects kind of said um, it happened above the athletic department, that they basically didn't have much input. Now, you've got a brand-new athletic director an almost brand-new coach. Uh, my guess is, for example, if Pete Carroll were still here and, and flying high, he might have enough clout to say, no, this is a big part of, of our recruiting. You know, it was the, the fifth-largest, you know, stadium in America for college football when I got here, and we're not going to end up with the 25th-largest one, which it will be in 2019. That's going in the wrong direction. Um, I knew, I knew, I missed an answer before. I was just thinking about it, talking about they will tell you that they're trying to 
upgrade this for the you know as a home field advantage for USC. The problem is half of one side is is basically going to be you know private boxes glassed in. I mean it's for example, and this is what you notice when you go to Levi's Stadium with that you know eight or nine story high wall of of luxury suites. It's kind of a wall of silence. Okay, so when you point this out to them, how you know how loud can it be? How big of a home field advantage can it be when you've got so much of of the of the seating on you know that are that are the sideline seats where people are in back in boxes? And here's here's how far they have to go to defend it. The thought they're saying things like, well, with all that glass. The sound might bounce off the glass and stay in the stadium. So they're hoping that having glassed in private boxes will help the sound because the rest of the stadium, the much smaller rest of the stadium, that sound will bounce off the glass and stay in the, inside the Coliseum. Talk about, you know, desperation. I mean, it's not like they're building CenturyLink Field with the, you know, very uh, steep uh, stands and, and roof. Uh, you know, that's one thing. Or Oregon Stadium where they've got, you know, a roof. Or Washington Stadium where they have a roof. They're not going to have a roof. And they're just going to have a wall of glass. And I'm not thinking that's probably going to help USC's uh, home field advantage uh, when you think about it. 16,000 fewer people there. And one one half of one sideline glassed in uh, luxury boxes my guess is the sound level goes way down yeah i would agree with you there dan um we got one last comment um and we've had other ones too i just want to try to pare it all down there's a lot of people that are upset about this frank said i read that the average coliseum attendance during the Pete carroll years was more than ninety thousand. with the usc's roster back at full strength again and loaded with talent it seems reasonable to expect usc football games to become the hot ticket in L.A. again. I understand that the seating capacity after the Coliseum renovation will only be 77,000. seems like that the attendance at many USC games this year will be significantly more than 77,000. Do you think that might cause the people in charge of the Coliseum renovation to rethink the seating capacity? Are they too far along to reconsider? Thanks for everything you do to keep us up to speed on USC football. Fight on, Frank in Vegas. Yeah, Frank, we can only hope. I mean, and, and maybe this is the year that you're glad you opened with three uh, home games, that um, that you got uh, Western Michigan ought to be interesting. You know they they're uh, you know their coach left, but you know they won 13 games last year, big time bowl program, um, and a and a tough opener. And you would think that USC fans would just want to come out and see what does this new team look like in a home game. Then you get Stanford in a game that you know very often can decide both teams, uh, you know, fate in terms of the, uh, and maybe well, uh, two top 10 teams and probably a very good candidate for ESPN game day, uh, to be at USC that week. And if not that week, USC wins, you, you, you bring Texas in and they're all fired up with, you know, new coach and they've got two of the absolutely or three really are the, the best players in the country, even though they had just such a horrendous year last year with Tom Herman, you would think, uh, you would think USC also then plays Utah at home, a game that, that could well decide the South. 
and then they play UCLA. So, yes, he has, you know, four or five games where they could easily, you know, have, if they keep winning, have more than 90,000 in the Coliseum. Uh, is that something I've asked USC about that? And they look at you like, yeah, but what about the next year? And what about the next year? Yeah. I mean, it's like those years, for example, I think we documented that from, um, 2000, end of 2004 to the beginning of 2007, USC had 15 straight Coliseum crowds of more than 90,000. Uh, and I know, and then they'll tell you, well, uh, that was before the Rams came back and before the Chargers came back. And it's just, that's just not how, well, yes, it is. Uh, you know, L.A. is a town where they really go for the big events. It's a big event, big game town. Uh, I don't think L.A. is the town where you say, we have to draw just as many for the Arizona game as we do for the UCLA or the Notre Dame games. No, it's, that's just not going to happen. Uh, people, you know, pick and choose. But for the big games, they want to be there. So to not have any ability to handle those big game crowds, uh, you know, even if you say, well, over the Pete, Pete Carroll's time, they averaged about 77,000-something, counting his first couple of seasons where people didn't realize how good they were going to be um, in the last season. Still, uh, I think my numbers were something like 80-some 80, 80 that they averaged. And uh, the problem is you can't average that much if you don't have those 90,000 crowds. That's the way it works. In, in LA, I don't think you're ever going to be able to, you know, sell 77,000 season tickets counting the students and what have you. That's just, that's not LA. They'll figure out other ways, uh, you know, to do that. But, uh, but to not have the ability to put on a really big game at the Coliseum, I think it's a problem. I mean, I think who, how long will it be before people say, well, wait a minute, if we're, if the USC UCLA game at the Rose Bowl, can draw 92,000 plus, why should they ever play it at the Coliseum when only 77,500 can get into it? Maybe we ought to play the USC-UCLA game at the Rose Bowl every year or at the new Rams Stadium or wherever because they're going to have standing room for 10,000. I mean, really, I think it's more of a problem that USC wants to let on when you've got the third, third largest stadium in your town. Uh, that people might start, you know, campaigning to say, why not play UCLA at the Rose Bowl every year? Uh, and it would be logical. I mean, you know, you're shutting out 16,000 fans every time you play it at the Coliseum. So I think there are problems and I think they're, they got the wrong answers to a lot of them and, uh, and they didn't need to get the wrong answers. You know, the wrong answers, you know, you didn't have to come up with these answers. And uh, one hopes that it's so obvious that somehow there's a breakthrough and they say, maybe we need to rethink this. Uh, I would think, you know, contacting as many people in the development office uh, as possible, um, you know, contacting as many people in the administration uh Anybody on the board of trustees, if you know anybody on the board of trustees, I don't think a lot of people have thought this all the way through like we have. And now, you know, now they are where they are.
And I guess the, the whole thinking is, well, if we start pushing that we have to get away from this plan and rethink it and redo it, who do we blame for taking us down this wrong path? And I think that's one of the hardest things in, you know, academic bureaucracy to do is to A, admit a mistake, or B, point out that somebody else made a mistake. And you probably can't get off of this path uh, unless you admit a mistake. And that's probably hard, really, really hard for people to do. But all we can do is try to convince them that, that getting it right is more important than uh, not having to admit you got it wrong. Yeah. I think that's how I would approach it. <laughs> I would, you know, if I'm, you know, Max Nikias, who I really admire a lot, I, I really think a lot about of Max and his decision making and and his history of, you know, I mean, you can raise six billion dollars in less than six years and extend it for three billion more for the next three years and all the things that are going right on that USC campus. A lot of people have made a lot of really good decisions. Uh, we obviously we've disagreed on the NCAA and uh, disagreed on this. But uh, but if if you could be the person that says, you know, the most important thing here is getting it right for the Coliseum, for our fans, for college football, we need to get this right. Let's take a really good look at it. I think that would be the kind of thing where you could you'd say that that deserves an awful lot of admiration if somebody could just say we need to get this right we don't need to make sure that nobody gets blamed for for getting it wrong to this point so so i think just everybody talking and and asking and responding in ways that you know that you feel is the right way to respond here uh and we'll see if we, we'll see if there's a more formalized process that maybe this could you know could take take the form of a, you know, a petition, uh, whatever, you know, who and who and what channels and all that, that, that that could go through. Uh, we'll see. But I think we still have time, but we don't have much. Yeah. Not, not a lot of time left. So yeah, get your, uh, you know, make your phone calls, write your letters, whatever you need to do if you don't like this. And, uh, and if you do like it, let us know. Cause we, we just haven't heard from, I don't know of anybody that uh is like oh this is a great idea um so yeah <laughs> well i mean i i i've heard i think one person who thinks it's a terrible idea but said you know for me i like the convenience i like the seating i like so he's upgrading to you know the new seats from where he was and he said i just don't want to give up you know and i he said fortunately i'm i'm lucky enough i've got the wherewithal to do this but he said, I think it stinks, but I'm definitely going to do it because I want to be able to, you know, watch the games and, you know, I want to be able to have the, you know, the parking and, and the access to the stadium and, uh, you know, the elevators and, and the concessions and all the things that, that are really, are really nice. And I, you know, if you're one of those people who can do it, it's a really good deal. Uh, just personally, it's not that good a deal for, you know, for the, for the football program, I don't think, and for the Coliseum, but you could, you know, in a way you can justify it and say, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. I think, you know, they've made it very attractive for those 2,200 people. Uh, 
I think a different design would allow you to have more people taken care of in club seats for much less money, uh, you know, that I think in, in the long run produces more benefits for USC, you know, financially and, you know, just in goodwill. But it doesn't look like they considered some of these plans that just look a whole, whole lot more sensible than, than the one they've got. Well, great stuff, Dan. Uh, sorry we didn't get to do any football questions, but there's just been so much. Uh, I've just been saving all the ones that were coming in on the Coliseum and some of them were duplicates, but we, you know, obviously there's a lot of outrage. So thanks for, uh, joining us and talking about this and we'll see what happens going forward. Yes, we will. It's going to be, uh, going to be interesting. Uh, I, I'm, I've never quite seen something where, where you can't put your finger on how did we get here why are we here and it's just it's just it's very puzzling is all i can say and i wish we had more answers you know for people who have a lot of the same questions that we've had for months and those answers just aren't there yeah so keep asking those questions Keep asking them. All right. Uh, thanks to Dan Weber and thanks to our sponsor, uh, Trader Joe's for this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle podcast and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 